Have you ever had a time, I was thinking about this this week, have you ever had a time where you look at your life and you wonder why God led you down a certain path? Or you, uh, maybe, maybe it's current. Maybe you look at your life and you say, what's God doing and why? At the time, maybe in the past, you, you looked at it and it was kind of confusing and kind of challenging. And you knew the Lord was teaching you in some way. You knew God was at work. You knew there was something spiritual you needed to learn out of it and that your faith was being stretched. But, but at that time, you couldn't quite see it. And maybe even now, years later, uh, you, you still are not crystal clear on what happened and why and, and why God chose that particular path. Or, or if, it's, if it's in your current state, if you're presently in that place, you're, you're kind of wondering what the Lord's doing. And maybe you've been praying and maybe you've been seeking Him and really earnestly going to His throne, but you still just don't have clarity and you long to hear from Him. You long to understand what's going on and why, why He's chosen this or, or what's going to change or when. I mean, those, those kinds of questions that we wrestle with. Maybe if you have that kind of need this morning, come Thursday night, let's pray for you. Let's, let's go to the throne of grace together for you. Because there are times in our lives where it's just kind of confusing. Now, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, which is this passage right here, Deuteronomy chapter 8, they're, they're just about to enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy really is the book where they're, where they're standing on the edge of Canaan and, and God's giving them instruction, what to tell you about in a moment. They, they really must have experienced some of those questions. They must have wondered why this path? Why has God chosen this? Why, why did he allow this? Because God takes so much time in scripture to explain it to them that they must have been, uh, must have been wondering. They must have been a little bit confused even though we know what happened. We know that the only reason that they wandered, and they knew this too, the only reason they wandered for 40 years was because of their blatant rebellion against God. That was, that was clear. God made that abundantly clear at Sinai and all throughout their wandering. So it wasn't like they were really confused about that. But what the Lord was trying to teach them, they didn't always get. They knew that the wandering was a result of the sin. They didn't really like that. But, but they knew that was the reality. But, but God was also trying to teach them. And they were so hard-hearted and so stubborn and so not receptive to what God wanted to tell them that he had to keep teaching them and keep teaching them. Now, Deuteronomy really is a culmination of that teaching. It's the, it's the capitalization of all that God was trying to tell them. And as they prepare to go into the land, as they're as they on the precipice of, of Canaan, he's kind of giving them the final instructions. Not so much uh, how to physically occupy the land, like here's your battle strategy, you're going go to uh, go to Jericho first, then you're going to go to Ai, then you're going to conquer uh, to the north flank. I, I mean, he's not, he's not dealing with that as much as he's saying there are some spiritual instructions that you need. There are some things that you need training on. And, and really, Deuteronomy, and this chapter particularly, is a test of whether they had learned the lessons of the wilderness, because their parents and grandparents hadn't. They had rebelled, they had been 
proud. They had not been grateful for the leading of the Lord. They had fought against the leading of the Lord. They were, they were resentful that God hadn't let them stay in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. They were resentful that God didn't do it their way, that God didn't provide what they wanted, that God made them wander even though they were about. They were, they were constantly complaining that God hadn't done enough. So, so God's not only testing whether they've learned that that was the wrong way to think, they are, they're also test, God's also testing their future compliance. Are you going now to obey? Are you going to continue to follow the disobedient habits of the past? Or are you going to change? What's your heart going to do? Because Israel, you stand at, at the edge of the fulfillment of my promise. And yet there's still something that I see in you that is, that is resistant and hesitant. So really, if you want, God's foundational message is this. Remember the past, live differently in the present by actually being obedient. And trust me for the future, because if you do, I'll bless you beyond measure. That really applies to us this morning. Remember what God's done in the past, live obediently for Him now, and trust that He'll bless us for the future. And that really is the outline for chapter 8. It's just as applicable now for us as it was for them. Because even though we're not in the same situation, the truths here are timeless. Now we have to be careful when we study the Old Testament that we don't, um, that we don't assume that everything that is said at certain times necessarily applies to us now. What do I mean by that? Well, some of the teaching or some of the instruction or some of the rules that were given to Israel were under the old covenant. And they're specific to the nation of Israel. So us living under the new covenant, um, we don't, they don't necessarily apply to us in the physical sense. They might apply to us in the spiritual sense. There are some Christians that think that the church has taken over for Israel. In other words, the church now has to fulfill what Israel did, and the church gets the blessings that Israel promised. But that's bad theology for two reasons. One is God says, I'm still working with Israel. How many know God still has a plan for Israel? He's not done yet. The nation was formed in 1948. That was a fulfillment of them coming back after they were dispersed to Babylon and Assyria. Now God is still working. And the reason the whole world has not completely devastated Israel is because the whole world is never going to completely devastate Israel. Everybody wants Israel gone, but Israel's not going anywhere because God says, I still have my hand on them. And God still will fulfill what he's going to do in Israel. So God has not transferred his, his word to Israel to the church. It's separate. So God still has his plan for Israel. And, and he also says the reason that that doesn't apply to you is because Jesus Christ, when he came, said, I fulfill the law. That's the only reason he was able to go as the perfect sacrifice for sin is because he fulfilled the law. So now he says, you're under the new covenant. That means we don't have to follow the Old Testament rules of you can only wear a certain fabric into the temple or the priests have to do certain uh, acts of ministry. The, the, that's been fulfilled. Jesus stands now as our great high priest, and he fulfilled the law. So some of the physical aspects of the law don't need to be obeyed, but the spiritual aspects of the ball, uh, law absolutely do. Does it make sense? You with me still? 
So when we study the Old Testament, when we teach from the Old Testament, we have to make sure that anything that we're applying from the Old Testament is also confirmed in the New Testament. Because if it's not, we're not under that anymore. Now, the reason I, I tell you that confusing sentence is because when we study a text like Deuteronomy 8, we see the Lord talking to Israel about wandering in the wilderness and about going into a land filled with springs and wheat and barley. So, so we can look at this and say, all right, this is not direct instruction to the church in 2014 because we're not going into a promised land and it's not filled with springs and wheat and barley and, and we don't have to, um, to, to think about being, living in certain boundaries that were given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I'm still hoping and praying that God's going to lead us to a permanent location, and if it's got springs and barley, so be it. All right, let's pray for that. But, but the church doesn't take over the, the promise to Israel that there is going to be a land, and the land has borders, and the borders are where my nation, Israel, is going to live. And I promise this to Abraham in Genesis 12, and it's still going to be fulfilled despite what all the Arab nations around Israel are saying and despite what the Palestinians are saying. I am going to fulfill this, Israel. You are going to live in those borders that I gave to Abraham. So we know that that part of it isn't applicable to us in terms of our application. But the promises and the teaching spiritually here definitely does apply to us. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to teach us how what we read here in the Old Testament applies to us spiritually. He's making so much effort to move us as believers on to maturity that we now need to be receptive to what he's saying. We need to listen and discern and act because the Holy Spirit is teaching us and training us. Now that is going to be especially important when we're in a time like Israel was. And some of you this morning are here and you're disappointed or you're full of regret or you, you're facing difficulty or there's some kind of uncertainty in your life or lack, lack of clarity. Some of you are dealing with it. Others of you are like, everything's smooth sailing. I'm going along great and it's, it's good. But, but when we're in those times of kind of disappointment and confusion and, and, and uncertainty, um, we need to understand how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now, Israel knew that the 40 years were a result of their disobedience, but the Lord didn't waste that time. God didn't punish Israel just to punish them. He was teaching them and developing them now to become different than those who had gone before them. And the key indicator of whether they were going to be a people who was blessed by the Lord or whether they were going to be people who made the same mistakes as their forefathers did was whether they were going to start listening and be receptive to God's leading. Now, when we're in frustrating situations, when we're in times where, where we're uh, irritated or where our faith is being stretched, and we know there are spiritual lessons there, but, but, but we're exasperated and we're frustrated and we're irritated and, 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 and we just are, are, are just at a point where we're bothered. Those are the times where we have to be even more receptive to the Lord. Because it's in those times God is teaching us very unique things about ourselves and about Him. And, and a lot of times when we're frustrated like that, we don't really want to hear what He's telling us because what He's telling us doesn't align with what we want. And that's part of the reason we're irritated. 
because God is leading us a certain way, and, and we don't want to really do that. And kind of the measure of our faith and the measure of our spiritual maturity is how willing we are to say, Lord, I yield to that, even though I don't like it or don't agree to it or, or don't really want to do it, but, but I'll yield to it. And instead of being irritated and say, okay, I'll obey, but I am ticked. Instead of that, we have to pay even closer attention because God is refining us and teaching us something new. We have to listen more intently. Let me give you an example of this from the weekend. Annie had a volleyball tournament out in Delavan, so we went out with some other families and, uh, from the school and, and stayed at a hotel and, and attended the tournament. Well, at the hotel, when I walked in on Friday, there was a group of about 20 people in the lobby, and they were deaf. And they were all talking uh, in, in the lobby using sign language. And it, was, it, was, uh, it caught my attention because as I walked in, I saw all these people and it was quiet. Normally when you see 20, 25 people, there's a lot of chatter. But, but all this was was signing. And they were in little groups, maybe two people talking or, or three or four, whatever. But, but everybody was using sign language. And, and I looked at them. Because I was observing what was going on, and I noticed that not one person was on their cell phone while they were having a conversation. Not one person was saying, oh, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Hold on a second. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what were you saying? As I watched them, it was interesting because they had to look at each other in order to listen. How often does that happen? How often do we catch ourselves when we're in a conversation where we're not actually looking at the other person? Now, the spiritual principle of that didn't hit me till late last night, and it's this. If we aren't hearing what the Lord is saying, or, or we don't understand it, or it's different from what we hope or expect, that's not the time to get irritated and distracted. That's the time to play closer attention. If God's working in your life right now and you don't get it or you don't agree with it, it's not the time to say, well, I'm just going to do something else. It's the time to get back into his presence and say, Lord, I really don't understand. See, Israel's problem was that when God spoke to them, they were like my brother when he was growing up. I don't know if I've ever given this illustration before. When my brother, when he was just a child, five or six, when, when he was being corrected or didn't like what something was happening, he would just close his eyes. Like, if I close my eyes, maybe they'll stop talking and the problem will go away. I actually found myself doing this in a conversation yesterday that I wasn't particularly enjoying. I, I was sitting there and the other person was talking and they were saying something I didn't really like. And I just kind of went, like, maybe if I just close my eyes and rub my forehead that the problem will magically disappear. Israel was like that. They, they just kind of looked away. But the thing is, when we don't understand, we have to look more intently. Those people that were deaf could not look to the side. They couldn't look down at a cell phone. They couldn't be distracted. They couldn't be reading the newspaper as they were having the conversation. Because understanding came from listening. But because they can't physically listen, they had to look more intently. Because if you miss a sign or you miss the mouthing of the words, you're not going to understand what's going on. Now, that's what Israel needed to hear here, and I know that's a long introduction. That's about half the message. 
God, God was telling Israel, you can't close your eyes. You can't shut off your ears. You can't stop listening. I'm testing your hearing here. And I need you to understand that you need to remember what happened. You need to receive what I'm telling you. And you need to be ready to act. Now let's quickly look at the text. We've got a lot to cover in a short period of time. But let's divide it into two equal parts. Because thematically chapter 8 is divided that way. So let's start in verses 1 to 10. We'll develop that a little bit. And then we'll read 11 to 20. Chapter 8. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today. You will be careful to do. That you may live and multiply, okay? So the commands, there's a direct correlation. When you study scripture, always look for direct correlation. There's direct correlation. The commands I'm commanding you are designed that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord, Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you'll eat food without scarcity, in which you'll not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper." When you've eaten and you're satisfied, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. Now in this first section, he's, he is trying to teach them that the 40 years that they've wandered were for this purpose. In the second section, which we're going to read in a few minutes, he's going to call them then to examine their hearts. But as we go through each section, we need to apply what he says to our lives now. Now let's look at the first part because this is important. The first way that God tested their hearing spiritually was to call them to humility. He's calling them to humility. Now this is something that their parents and grandparents never embraced. They never wanted to do this because honestly, in their minds, they believed that they knew better than the Lord. In their minds, they believed they knew better than the Lord. And I can't think of an attitude that is more ridiculous or more dangerous than that. None of us this morning, I think, would openly admit it. But most of our frustration with the, with the word or with God's leading is that we think that we would do it better. That if we were allowed, that if we were in control... At the end of the day, listen now, that, that what we would choose, the method we would choose, the way we would go, would be more reasonable and more beneficial to us. 
That's our human nature fighting against the will of God. Lord, I love your word and I love your leading, but honestly, right now, I just don't understand what you're doing or why. And if you just let me take over for a little while, I'm sure I can figure out a much more reasonable plan than, than what you're doing. Now, that, that, that contains no faith, but it's often how we think. Lord, if you'd let me kind of take over in this relationship, or you change, if I could change this work situation and kind of adapt that, or, or Lord, if, if we could have more money, or, or if we could change where we live, or, or what we have, or, or anything like that, if we just had control, we'd do it a little bit more differently. We'd still want you to, to, to chip in and chime in and, and tell us what you think, but, but Lord, if we could just do it, it would be a little bit better. Not to mention having to live by faith. Or, or being separate and holy, or, or having to give, or having to pray, or having to wit. All, all those things, we, we know they're right, but sometimes, and, and maybe I'm the only one that, that feels this sometimes, sometimes we think to ourselves, Lord, if you just ease off the pedal a little bit, it'll be a little bit easier. Israel constantly felt that. Well, we're so glad we're out of Egypt, but we sure do need something to eat. And we're thirsty, and how long are we going to have to look at this sand? And boy, we had it better back in Egypt. It was great. It was one party after another. We had buffets of food. We had great places to sleep. Now you brought us out of the wilderness to kill us. See, there was a constant dissatisfaction. And those thoughts, as subtle as they sometimes are, and as defensible as they sometimes seem, are, are just really symptomatic of our pride. And, and even as I was studying that, writing that in my notes, I thought, I don't want to hear that. And that's exactly the point. Now we're going to talk about pride again. I'm so tired of talking about pride. But that's exactly the point God's making. Our pride is insidious. Our pride is constantly claiming what it wants. And the Lord calls, us, calls our pride out because he says, I can't tolerate it. I have to oppose it. Not only because it has the scent of hell, and not only because it's contrary to holiness, but God knows that for us to be like Christ, it begins with humility. Let me say that again. For us to be like Christ, it begins with humility. You cannot confess sin unless you humble yourself. You cannot repent unless you admit you're wrong. You can't pray unless you're willing to yield yourself to the Lord. You can't trust unless you're willing to die to self. You can't love the Lord unless you stop loving yourself. It all begins with humility. That's a precondition of Christ-likeness. So it's no wonder that God constantly is teaching us humility. And yet our pride and our human nature fights it because we say, I don't want to be humble. I want to do my thing. I want to have what I want. I want God to back off a little bit. I want some control. I want it to be easier. And God says, easy is not better. So we may not want to admit it, but it's true. And that's why here in verses 1 to 10, if you look back at the text, the Spirit outlines why humility has to take hold in our lives. Look back at verse 2. You'll remember all the way the Lord God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? 
that he might humble you. The whole purpose of the wandering, apart from the necessary discipline for the rebellion, but, but God's greater purpose of making them wander for 40 years was to test their hearing. Will you remember who got you here? Will you remember who delivered you out of Egypt? Will you remember who parted the Red Sea? Will you remember who gave you manna and quail and water from a rock? Will you remember the promise that I made to Abraham that you're going to a land? Will you remember that land is filled with milk and honey? And will you remember that I will be your God there? See, I've done this, Israel, to humble you. I've done this, believer. I've led you this way to humble you, not to irritate you, not to frustrate you. Look, if that comes out of it, it's because you don't trust me. I've brought you this way to humble you. And look how he tests their humility in verse 3. He says, I let you be hungry. Now the skeptic goes, there it is. There it is. I knew it. I knew I knew you're finally going to get to it. You have to admit it. See, God's not loving God's not loving. I let you be hungry. There it is right there in print. I humbled you and let you be hungry. But the Lord shuts that down in the next line. I fed you with manna that you didn't know, your fathers know, that you might understand that man doesn't live by bread alone. In other words, that you'd understand that material things are not the source of fulfillment and life. Trusting in my provision is. And the way the Lord provided the manna Prove that it came once a day. And you couldn't store it up because if you stored it up, it would rot and smell. So he said, once a day, I'm going to give you your daily bread. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that's a reference all the way back to manna. Daily bread. Every morning they'd walk out, there'd be bread on the ground. Who doesn't love bread on the ground, right? No five-second rule with that. I mean, that's good bread. So they'd walk out, what are we going to eat for breakfast? Oh yeah, there's our bread. Every day. And if they tried to hoard it and put it in, well, take some extra because we're extra hungry today and the kids want more and, and let's, let's stockpile a little bit. They'd wake up the next morning and it would be moldy and there'd be fresh bread outside. Because God said, you have to trust me. But here's what happened to Israel. I'm sick of bread on the ground. I want something different. How about a nice bagel? Or a Danish? Or a donut? Now, could you send donuts tomorrow? Because we're tired of manna. It's getting kind of old. Manna every day. Every day, manna. Kids would have breakfast. Manna. What's for breakfast tomorrow? Manna. How about Thursday? Manna. Could we have donuts on Friday, Dad? No, we're going to have manna. So eventually, Israel starts to complain. God says, I gave you daily bread. And, and look at the next thing he says. He says, your clothing never wore out. And that's pretty remarkable during these conditions. It was hot and dry and barren and, and harsh. And there are exactly beautiful rivers to go wash your clothes in. You're in the middle of the desert. There, there's nothing but sand. But God says, have you noticed that your clothes never wore out and your feet never swelled? Did you ever notice that? That was me. I did that. But I also left enough difficulty. Look at verse 5. I also left enough difficulty to test your humility and your resolve because I wanted you to see 
the purpose of the wandering. It was discipline. You were rebellious children. You rejected my authority. You fought my commands. You resisted my correction. And I needed to break you of that. So while I provided everything that you need, I was also doing a work to break you. What is God breaking you of this morning? What does God want to break in your life? He's provided all you need. You're here today. You drove a nice car to come over here. You're sitting in a warm room. You're dressed beautifully. You sang nicely. You're holding a Bible in your hands. You have enough money to go to lunch today. I mean, we've got what we need. So what is God trying to break? What needs his gentle discipline? Because something in our lives right now, and this is true of all of us, there's something that is stoking our pride and hindering us from walking in his ways and hearing him. And that's not a a minor issue. It's not something we can dismiss and say, well, it's not really important. It's not a big deal. I have what I need. God made Israel wander for 40 years to break them of their pride. So he is not at all adverse to taking us through trial and hardship that demand our faith to bring us to greater humility. He, he won't hesitate about that for a second. If he sees pride in my life and he sees me fighting his will through my selfishness, he's not going to go, well, just let roads endure for a while. He's going to go after it because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So he'll go right after it. Now, look at the second hearing test, and then we'll pray. Look at verse 11. Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God. How would they forget the Lord your God? Well, he tells them, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, in other words, if you don't keep his commandments and ordinances and statutes, if you do forget, here's what's going to happen. Verse 12. When you've eaten and are satisfied, and you built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and you have multiples, uh, all that you have multiplies, your heart then, when all that happens, if you forget to obey, your heart will become proud. And you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is in this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely die. Likewise, the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish. Look at the last line. Because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, here was the second hearing test. The first hearing test was that they would become humble. The second hearing test was that they would examine their hearts. He wanted them to examine their hearts. The way you test hearing spiritually is to examine the heart. Now, our bodies have a natural uh, reaction to certain stimuli that we hear. If somebody calls out my name, I'm going to turn to look at them. If someone screams... I'm going to 
probably feel nervous and feel anxious and wonder what happened. If someone curses me, I, I may feel angry or I may just feel hurt. If someone starts to cry near me, I'm going to start to feel empathy. Those, those are the natural reactions we have to stimuli that when we hear something, we react. Now, if I'm not sanctified and I'm not in love with the Lord and I'm not walking holiness, let's just say I'm mean or I'm arrogant or I'm spiritually hard-hearted. My responses to those stimuli is going to be different. If someone says my name, if I'm arrogant, I'm going to be stoked with pride. Like, yeah, that's right. That's me. Or, or, or if, if somebody screams, I may think evil thoughts. If my heart is dark and, and my heart is twisted, I may think evil thoughts and think, ooh, what's happening to them? I bet that's good. Or, or, or if somebody curses me, I may get violent. I may get so angry that I take it to the next level and punch them or, or hurt them in some way because my heart's not right. Or if somebody's crying and, and, and I don't have the love of the Lord in me, I may kind of get irritated. Like, what, quit blubbering. What's your problem? Maybe I'm a little annoyed with that person. Like, man, you're always so emotional. See, see what in our heart determines how we react? So when we hear something... What's happening internally will affect what we do externally. The same principle holds true spiritually. And God uses the same method of measurement. So he warns Israel. You need to listen. And be careful you don't forget. This is in verse 11 and it's in verse 14. And I think it's in one more place that I can't find as I'm looking at the text. But, but God says don't forget. Don't forget, because if you do, by not keeping my commandments, you're going to show your ingratitude. Remembrance is the key. Uh, remembrance is, is just kind of the indication that you're grateful. If you have a birthday and somebody close to you remembers the birthday, it, it shows that they love you. If you have a birthday and somebody doesn't remember and then three days later they go, oh, did you have a birthday recently? You're going to go, oh, thanks for remembering three days late, but really? So remembrance is an act of gratitude. And God says, you haven't been very grateful because you haven't remembered. Look at what he describes here. We're almost done. He says, if you don't remember, you don't obey. You're going to eat. You're going to have nice houses, you're going to have livestock and cash, everything you need. And then you're going to become proud and you're going to forget that I brought you out of Egypt and I led you through the wilderness and I fed you and I brought you to the land. Because that's how quick, that's how fast we tend to forget. It's always amazed me with Israel that they, after all the experiences they had, I mean, just the Red Sea alone, right? I mean, you walk through an ocean on dry ground and the walls of water are standing up and then you get to the other side and you watch the armies of Pharaoh be washed away and you know there's no way that that happened other than God blowing back the waves. And you get to the other side, don't you think you'd have some kind of worship service for a couple days? Three verses later, Israel's gone, what now? Oh, we don't have any water. We don't have any food. 
where are we headed? I don't know. They t- I don't know if they talk like that, but that's my, my Israel voice this morning. Boy, are we sure, I don't know. Why are we here? We're out in the desert now. I mean, literally, look at the text. Three verses after the waters wash Pharaoh, and they think, and they say to their kids, wow, we just walked through on dry ground through an ocean. Look how God provided. Three verses later, they're saying, well, God, we want something more. The lack of remembrance is stunning, and yet I look at my own life and I say, how often do I get in the presence of God and just thank Him and just praise Him? No requests, no, here are my needs, Lord. No, oh, I want this, Lord. No, Lord, why don't you do this? Just thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, until I can't say thank you anymore, and then I'll say thank you again. I'd love to have a prayer meeting in the future where we just come in and we just praise God for an hour. Uh, no requests, no singing, no teaching. We just praise God. We just, with our voices, just thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Oh, Lord, we praise you for the abundance of your blessing. You've redeemed us out of sin. You've saved us. You give us your spirit. You provide all we need. Lord, I had food every day this week. Every day I had a shelter. Every day I was able to go to work. Every day you provided that. Thank you, Lord. How often do we do that? God says, if you don't remember, you don't obey. How do we do this? How how do we show a lack of gratitude? We forget what God has done for us. See, the spiritual parallels are clear. Let me me just draw attention to this. I'm mindful of the time, but just look back at the text for a minute because I want you to see what God did here. And how it applies to us spiritually. He says in verse 14, I brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt. Spiritual parallel. God has brought us out of slavery, out of the bondage of sin. He says, I led you through the wilderness. God says, I've taken you from the kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of life and light. He says, I sustained you and fed you. Every day, God feeds us by his word and by his spirit, and he feeds us with righteousness. He says, I brought you to the promised land for us. He has given us the promise of eternal kingdom of his son that we will live in forever. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. For us, he says, I've made you my children and my disciples, and now I want you to make a great nation of believers. I want you to go out and make disciples and expand in the kingdom of Christ. See, everything he did for them tangibly, he's done for us spiritually. And yet, how often do we fall on our faces and say, thank you, Lord, for redeeming me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to witness today. Thank you for transferring me from darkness to light. Lord, because I remember that you've done that, my obedience is going to be completely different. The ingratitude is a form of pride. Think how gracious it was of the Lord that when they sinned at Sinai, that God didn't say, enough, I'm so done with you people. 
that he didn't wipe them out right there. He let them wander so they would learn and so they teach their children. This wasn't just a teaching aspect for them. It was for their kids and grandkids for generation and perpetuity. So they would get to the promised land in Deuteronomy 8 and they'd say, now remember what our parents taught us that we rebelled and we sinned, but God helped us and he's taught us and he's gotten us to this place. See, Israel still hasn't learned that lesson. That's why they're still in struggle this morning. Imagine Imagine if the whole nation of Israel today repented and trusted Christ. Do you think God would just go, wow, that's really cool? Or do you think he would say, now, that's what I'm going to do? See, when we remember and we turn to the Lord, that's when God works. And you say, all right, well, that's fine, but, but why does it really matter? What's, what's the point? Well, look back at verse 17 for a minute, because he says, if you don't do this, otherwise you're going to say in your heart, my power and my strength got me here. See, this is our tendency to find unreasonable confidence in our own power. It's what the enemy is always telling us. You don't need God. Who you are isn't because of Christ. It's because you're a good person and you do a lot of good things and you're not as bad as anybody else and you haven't murdered anybody. And even the sins, listen, the sins you do are not a big deal because God loves and accepts everybody because if God doesn't love and accept everybody no matter what, then he really isn't a loving God. What a farce that lie is. You know what we've earned We've earned death. The wages of sin is what? Tell me. Death. I'm a sinner. You know what I deserve? I deserve death. I deserve hell. No amount of unforgiven, uh, uh, unexonerated sin will allow me to be accepted by God. There's nothing I can do to be accepted. It is only through Christ. And if we forget that, if we don't trust him, he says right here, you'll perish because you haven't listened to the voice of the Lord. Let me finish. The Lord is constantly testing how we're listening and how fervently we're obeying. And And it's not just, yeah, Lord, I hear you. I, I'll try better now. I hear what Paul's saying. I'll, I'll try better to listen and obey. No. Mm-mm. No, Christ didn't go to the cross for us to try harder. Christ went to the cross and delivered us and changed our nature and declared us righteous. Listen now. So we would hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not just, oh, yeah, well, okay, listen more, try harder, do my best, but I don't know. No, 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 no. We are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Does that describe you this morning? I'm asking myself, does that describe me? Are we just doing Christianity? We just, we just kind of playing the role to ease our conscience, fulfill some obligations, and do, and do that? Or, or are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Because that's what he calls us to. Listen, if God was this gracious to people who completely rebelled and worshiped false gods and broke the law before it was even dry on the tablets, if God was gracious to them, imagine how much he'll bless us when we obey. If God would still bring Israel to the promised land and say, all right, listen now, 
If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't, if God would be that gracious to people that rebelled and worship false gods, how much more will he be gracious and bless those who love him? He is so loving and so gracious. And we need to put aside ourselves and give ourselves fully to him. Let's close our eyes. You've listened so well, and I know it's been long. Let me just take a minute. Because I'm hoping the Lord has spoken to you this morning. He's spoken to me in a lot of ways throughout the week and this morning. What is the area right now? Listen now. What is, what is the area of pride? What are you not yielding to him? What are you holding on to control of that, that is hindering you from really walking in holiness? Is it worth it? Is, is it worth you holding on control to be separated, to have distance from the Lord? What is he wanting you to remember? Maybe, maybe you and I haven't been grateful. Maybe, maybe we haven't thanked the Lord enough. I don't know. I'm trying to discern it for myself. But as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, what, what needs to be brought before him and say, Lord, my hands are off of it. it. This needs to be in your hands. I need to submit this area or areas of my life to you. Because I'm not walking in humility and I'm not walking in holiness. I encourage you. I implore you. Don't leave this room today without making that right with the Lord. Because if we do, we're just like Israel. and We just forget. We go on about our business. And we don't show any gratitude to God. He has been so gracious and so loving and merciful. If you've trusted Christ, you've been delivered from sin forever. There's no more record. God's been gracious to you and me. He's been merciful beyond measure. Do we love him? Do we love him?